We depend largely on the public to help us solve crime. On May 10, 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 went missing in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. In season three of The Lost Boys of Hannibal, Boots on the Ground, we discover new information and details into the boys' disappearance. These are boys, little boys. You don't know what happened. You should try to find out what happened. Nothing should deter you from that. So, yeah, it angers me a little bit. When the deputy mentions these trees would have been here 51 years ago, that's when I immediately knew who we were looking for. Join us as we journey into Hannibal's biggest mystery to find the truth about what happened to Billy, Joey, and Craig. Welcome back to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. I'm your host, Frankie, and with me as always... Chris Ketters. Welcome back, Chris. How is your house? Do you have electric? Do you have uh, power? Do you have Wi-Fi? <laughs> Do you have all yes, the things? Luckily, we have all the things. So, yeah, I'm very lucky that uh, it wasn't worse. I mean, this tree branch, I put a picture on our Facebook discussion group of how large this branch was or this limb, and it literally, Frankie... It hit the ground, jumped over a car, and landed on power lines on the other side of the car. Wow. Lucky yeah. car. Lucky car. Lucky car. It's kind of like when you bounce around our reviews. There's, there's, a lot, <laughs> there's a lot that I wish a tree would fall on. Um, but as of late, Chris, our positivity and the love for our podcast ensues. It, you see, evil always loses against the good. And so with that, Chris, I'm going to give you some new reviews that we got on the Apple podcast. We're looking right, staring at 178 ratings right now, which is good. Putting us roughly around 4.8. So when you're giving us a review, just make sure you put five stars, even if you hate us. Just playing. Um, (laughs) I hate this podcast. Five stars. (laughs) So um, this one's really nice. This one came out Thursday by Esperas4. Amazing story. So close to home. So someone mentioned this podcast to me, and I never heard the story before, even though I only live 25 minutes away in Quincy. Well, you got to check out Wild Quincy if you uh, live in Quincy. You'll you'll really start loving your town. (laughs) (laughs) The guys do an amazing job on their research, and a lot of of that had to be done under COVID conditions. That is true, my friend. Excited to see where the next season takes us. Keep up the good work, boys. Well, thank you. Keep the reviews coming in. We appreciate you. Um, here's another one. Uh, this one is a review from a Hannibal native. Five stars by El Soldador. That's probably... Nice. Yeah, Soldador. is nice. Frank, E, and Chris are doing a great job diving into the documents and evidence from this tragic event. They are taking the time to go through everything with a fine-tooth comb to leave no stern stone unturned. With Frankie's cliffhangers and Chris's thorough research, each episode leaves you wanting more. They are working hard to get it. And that that's a good that's somebody that listens to our podcast. See there, Chris? That's somebody that yep. actually listens to the podcast. Not somebody trying to get a quick fix in one episode. Won't happen here, guys. This is a fifty-four year old case. 
and it's going to take about 54 years to get through it just playing but it will take <laughs> maybe at least 54 episodes frankie <laughs> exactly exactly and then we go to june 7th um trish from the hill love it um i guess she lives in the hill uh <laughs> they are doing a great job with gathering information from the year the boys went missing up to now i have great faith they and the public are going to solve this mystery finally and that's a great five-star review because at the end of the day yes it is the public who solves crime and the information that we received over the last year chris has really helped us get boots on the ground so with that we will yeah no longer cliffhang you or ramble as we love to say <laughs> here the lost boys animal um, well frankie i'm sure you're gonna cliffhang at the end I, it's just it, it would it would be it would be just unfair to it'd the be listeners. unfair if I didn't just cut this episode right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, Frank, you're right. We, we love the responses. Uh, make sure to hit us up on, on uh, uh, iTunes for those feedbacks because that's where all the ratings really matter. We appreciate everybody that's uh, stepped up. And, uh, you know, even our discussion group. Don't forget about the discussion group as well. I mean, well over 500 people on that discussion group now. Good good conversation always going on. And, and Frankie, that kind of leans into what we're getting ready to talk about today is we talked about Ray Ferrier the last episode, and we're going to talk more about him. But the great thing about doing these two-parters and having a little time between these episodes is some questions came out from some of the listeners as they've listened to that first episode. And again, it was, man, it was over a year and a half ago that we had our first Ray Ferrier episode. So not some, you know, it's been a long time if you've been a, a weekly listener of, of Lost Boys. But not only that, but it's... Uh, a lot to remember as well. <laughs> there's a lot of details, and there's stuff that we've learned that's new, uh, thanks to Jackie and the rest of our research crew that, crew that has uh, been able to track down some new information. So we want to make sure that everybody has everything. They're up to date, and uh, Frankie, you're ready to jump into some of these details. Yeah, I just want to go over one more thing. We are going to have some merch available for sale, and all the purchases of that is going to go into what me and Chris have been doing on the ground in Hannibal via the True Crime Path and the Caving Path. We're starting to need... Um, some excess of funds, but we also want you to have something that you can remember your donation with, because I'm, I'm saying it as more of a donation. Um, and as we start moving on, I just do want to mention that our fluffle is growing over on Patreon. Even though we don't push it a lot, there is a Patreon for the Lost Boys. There's a high fiver, and then it's the $10 True Crimer. And right now, I just want to thank um, our Patreon members. I think it's a good, yeah, for sure. a good thing that we should thank. I want to thank Mary Windsor um, for her donation and helping us. You help us with our servers. You help us with our website and keeping everything maintained, clean audio, editing, everything that it takes to actually put a well-produced podcast out there. I want to thank Adam White, uh, Tiffany Wilson-Landrum, uh, Kelsey, I guess it's Kelsey Hones, um, Barbara Sharp, Kevin Anderson, and Kyle Mack. Thank you so much for all your donations. It really helps us keep this show alive. Uh, um, Frankie, I think I think that last guy is actually my uh, is actually my insurance agent. <laughs> well, there you go. Hey, look, he's 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 putting insurance in this show, and we're going to give him reassurance in this episode that we think we know more than we ha did last year on who Ray Ferrier is and what he's all about. So with that, I just want to thank the Fluffle out there. And what, what a Fluffle is, is a group of rabbits that go down rabbit holes. So um, that's right. another reason why everybody loves our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we appreciate those. <laughs> the it many does help. Holes. 
as you know, it's it's a lot of work. Frankie puts a lot of hours, and he's uh, spent a lot of time at our favorite uh, hotel in Quincy or in Hannibal, and that's uh, of course the Holiday Inn up in Hannibal. So we can't, uh, you know, always want to give them a little bit of a plug because we always appreciate that. But uh, yeah, uh, and he needs, you know, he he's paying for it. So I that's get to true. drive home. Yes, uh, Frankie yeah. doesn't necessarily get to drive home or spend a lot of time. Which, uh, by the way, in the next few weeks, uh, not too much behind the curtain, but. Uh, if you're in Hannibal, you're probably going to see Frankie and I around town quite often in the next few weeks. So, yeah. not to give too much away. Feel free to um to say hi. I I love. I just want to give the 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 Jamba House. What's it called? Jamba Jive. Jamba Jive. Java Jive. Java Jive. That place. I drink more coffee there than anywhere, and that's my favorite place. So, <laughs> Lost Boys and Hannibal official coffee sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of speaking of that, Frankie, I've heard from multiple people that, and especially actually one of our uh, one of our Patreon members uh, I've talked to recently, uh, is that they went to uh, the Mark Twain Brewery and was really looking for those mozzarella wedges, and they were very disappointed that they weren't there. So hopefully we'll get Frankie's mozzarella wedges back someday. It, it's the petition that I think we need to do after we find these boys. <laughs> that's what I want to do, guys. I want to petition them to bring back the mozzarella. That's all I want. <laughs> well, in the Frank, in the Frankie's mozzarella sticks. So that's right. Yeah. That should have been named yeah. the Lost. Yeah, the right. Lost Boys mozzarella sticks. Because that's what they happened to. They went missing. So you know, let's get those back <laughs> on the menu. Um, we, we're finding four, three people in one one food item now. So exactly. uh, that's yep. our goal here on the Lost Boys and Hannibal yep. and wedges. Eat, guys. I'm sure we're gonna uh, get yeah. a comment about this about how insensitive that was. But whatever, all good. <laughs> and thank you. We're ram- we're rambling. It's okay. Yeah. Thank you, 2021. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about Ray Farrier. Let's do Frankie. And I want to get into some details. And I apologize. I believe it was Kristen that brought this up on our Facebook discussion group about some of the details asking um, about, you know, his age and like uh, divorce status. And, and even more specifically, we got an email just recently asking about, well, how do you know that Ray Farrier is the mystery man? And at first I had a response back and, and I had a couple of things I knew about. And then I was like, man, you know, there's other details. I cannot remember them. So I had to start doing some redigging, Frankie, and went into uh, our discussion group with our our research core and was able to pull some things up. So kind of want to lay this out. As we know, the troublemaker was, was none other than uh, Atwood, Lloyd Atwood. Lloyd Atwood. And we're trying to, we're trying to connect the mystery man to being this Ray Farrier. And so I'm going to give you the details of why we believe that he is in that, uh, in kind of in that slot of being that mystery man. And the first thing comes out to is something very big. Frankie comes out to a letter from our first episode about Ray, talking about uh, how he reached them too late to save them. The interesting thing about why he did what he said there is he tried to save them on May 16th of 1967 at 11 a.m. Reason that's peculiar, I hate that word, but I'll say it, is because... Peculiar. There we go. On May 17th, the next day of 1967, two newspaper articles came out, one from the Hannibal Courier Post and the other from the Chicago Tribune, talking about how there was a man in the Lover's Leap area that was throwing rocks at William Karras and Conway Christensen. So the letter from January 4th from Ray Farrier says he was in the Lover's Leap area on May 16th, the day before. So it kind of connects some things together there that says, okay, well, we got a guy that's sitting here at this area on May 16th. Then we have this guy that is throwing rocks at two of the lead searchers. 
and it kind of puts some connections together. Now, that's one of the pieces of the puzzle. Also, we want to go back to what we talked about in the first episode with Ray Farrier's map. We never really gave details. We've never exposed where it's at because uh, his X marks the spot is on private property. So we kind of wanted to stay away from that. But we can tell you that it's in the general vicinity of the Lover's Leap area. And that leans into our third thing, which comes down to the Bill Karras report. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this because it's been a while since we've read this. So I'm going to reread this. It's one paragraph. It talks about the mystery man in William Karras' report. So I'll read this real quick. The other person remains a mystery. He appeared and disappeared as a will of the wisp. He planted false clues and led the searchers on dozens or more unnecessary trips. On a number of occasions, he appeared in the early hours of the morning, standing high on the hill near the highway caves, looking down on workers. Who he was or where he came from, we'll never be able to discover. Why he committed some of the strange acts to throw us off our search, we shall probably never know. You could devote a half dozen pages to just this one man, but that would all boil down to one thing. He was not seeking personal publicity, but he was disrupting the search as we believe he wanted to. Hmm. Yeah, it, do, it does tie the two, the, the, the two men in, you know, and having... Ray Ferrier and then Lloyd Atwood. And why we're so committed to actually stating Lloyd Atwood's name is because he's already printed. Ray Ferrier is not. This is a discovery of the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. This is a, we don't have for a fact, we don't have definite fact, and we don't really have eyewitness testimony. So all the stuff we do have is circumstantial. But at the end of the day, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, (laughs) It's probably a Doug. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where, that's why I like the research that we have. And I, and I do want to lend, and we probably forgot to say this in the beginning, but we have a team of researchers. So it's not always just me and Chris doing the research. We do have a great team of researchers that we kind of keep quiet um, based on who they are. They're family members. Um, they are friends of ours. They are fans of the podcast that got involved and, and basically do it all for free and volunteer in their own time to help us. So um, and that law type of research officials. and law enforcement and, and that type of research really helps our podcast grow. So I just want to give a shout out to our yeah. research team and everything like that. Yeah, but, what if, but yes, one of those uh, researchers uh, with the law enforcement messaged me last night because I was just trying to find some of the little details to make sure I didn't miss some stuff. And, and one of them messaged me and he's like, do you, do you want me to dig into that some more? I mean, I, I can do some things that I, it would stay within the legal guidelines of what I can do. I'm like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> we would love that. So, yeah, uh, yeah we, our research group, uh, Jackie Elthorot, kind of the, the lead researcher, does a lot of our research for us. I, I had asked him a few questions last night and appreciate for his help. He's always been a, a great help for the podcast and for mm-hmm. both Frankie and I. So, And then, of course, the rest as well. Always been uh, real supportive and willing to uh, step up when we uh, need to track something down. Yeah. So, And we'll give them thanks because a lot of this information ironically the letter that we talked about right at the beginning about the the may 16th and then the may 17th rock throwing came as an idea from two of our researchers in our research group they caught that uh, as they were looking through some of this information so uh, kudos to them so that's a little bit of details why we call him the mystery man the next thing i want to talk about frankie is talking about uh, Ray Ferrier in his life in general. Uh, some people were asking, well, when did, he, when did he get divorced? When did he pass away? Uh, and I apologize. I think it was on the discussion group. I was like, well, I believe he passed away or he divorced in the early 80s and he passed away in the late 80s. That is not true. He divorced in 1982, but they were already separated according to his wife's obituary in 2012. That's when she passed. Um, they separated in 1979, so a few years before the actual divorce went through. Uh, he died in 1980. 
1984. So literally only two years after uh, the divorce, he passed away. So that gives you an idea of when he passed away and and also when he was divorced. Uh, real quick here, I'll give you some other stats. Uh, Ray was born in 1923. Not going to let you do the math. I'll do it for you. That means he was 44 in 1967. So, <laughs> you know, there's some people that are listening right now. It's like, uh, 67, 23. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, he was 44 in 1967. Uh, as I mentioned, his wife passed away in 2012. He never remarried. Of course, he was only divorced for two years. Frankie, we didn't really talk about this very much, but we've kind of mentioned it kind of in passing. He had eight children. Yeah. Eight a lot of lot of offspring but that was pretty common at the time too um that was a common thing families actually got smaller over time um i mean look at denise denise comes from one of 11 siblings um yeah. it's an area the the area of that really we used to have very large families today you can barely get people to have two kids so yeah uh, that is that is something to, to be a dad of eight children. Uh, it kind of gives you the, the empathy of like, well, maybe he really does care about these two kids and why he's involving himself in yeah. these stories and stuff. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the other part about with his wife is that, and we've mentioned this before, but in her obituary, it's actually quoted as saying she was survived. She survived a series of illnesses with high fever that permanently diminished her vision. But uh, later on, it mentions that she was still able to read with a magnifying glass. So and she enjoyed reading. But uh, so she did have a disability where she was uh, did have a, a hard time seeing. And then the last thing I do want to bring up with Ray Ferrier is he is a military person. He was uh, He's, we did come across a, a newspaper clipping from his hometown. He was in the Navy. He served aboard the USS Albany, which uh, was a C-8-123. It was a um, missile cruiser, I believe. And, oh, yeah, it was a guided missile cruiser. So he was uh, definitely a part of that. I think he was in the Mediterra Mediterranean Sea in the uh, late 40s. So, uh, yeah, so that gives you a little bit of information about Ray. And then um, I do want to pass out, pass along one last thing before we jump into these last three letters that we're going to talk about today. And we came across uh, not much in newspapers while we were researching the Ray Ferrier person, but we did come across a, a kind of an intriguing one talking about uh, in 1966, so a year before the boys go missing, at Ray's home, Somebody broke into their home and tried to set their trash can on fire. Luckily, a neighbor saw the smoke quickly and was able to call the fire department. They, they extinguished it quickly, but there was an arson attempt at the Ray Farrier home the year before the boys went missing. So a little tidbit of information really about the family. Yeah. So that is it. That is a that's, that's kind of an overview. And, and by the way, guys, we love appreciate uh, love and appreciate these questions that uh, we get. And that's part of the reason we have the discussion group and why we're always open is because of it, uh, when you ask those questions, it makes us dig in a little bit more and try to try to figure out what we're missing or our extra pieces to the puzzle. So we appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. We've been we've been getting some great email chains too. I don't want to mention her name yet, but she has some great theories and she's always emailing us some different ideas. Um, I haven't asked her for permission to use her name, so you know who you are, but um, a lot of really good thoughts out there, a lot of good information that constantly keeps in, keeps us on our toes. Okay, let's get into these letters then, Chris. Yeah, and, and I want to throw out a thanks again to Denise Mudd, Denise Hogue for uh, giving us these. It's so funny looking back now. We thought we only had these three original letters, and then all of a sudden we meet in the lobby with Denise one night in a hotel, and she flops down these other letters, and we're like, oh, wow, there's more Ray Ferrier <laughs> letters. Uh, so we appreciate her uh, handing these over to us and so we could uh, look into them. Uh, Frankie, you ready to dive into the first one? Yeah, 
July 3rd, 1968. Chris, take it away. So, Frankie, this is uh, addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Mike Hogue of Fulton Avenue, Hannibal, Missouri. By the way, Hannibal spelled wrong. The letter goes, I have a request to make of you. Please do as I tell you, not as I may do. Say a prayer for Joey and Billy every night until their return. Please, for their sake, do not drink any beer, wine, or liquor after 12 p.m. every Saturday night or on Sundays. Do as you like the rest of the week. Teach the other children the power of prayer and pray for Joey and Billy. You will find them closer to you as time goes by. And then it says here, uh, you will find you have found them yourself before you know the power about you. I have given you my word and I shall keep my promises to you but please do these things for the boys they need your help more than you know i'm perhaps not the best person in the world but i hope not the worst sincerely and then our name of our letter sender frankie what do you think of the first letter i don't know he's switching gears again now now it's prayer now it's all about prayer it's all about not drinking alcohol um ritualistic very uh, baptist in the sense of alcohol and drinking and consumption, um, I don't know. It it it, it, it it's kind of jarring because now it it looks like this person still has contact to the boys. It feels like he still knows where they are. It still feels that like he has more information than he's willing to share. And this is also a year later, right? This is a little over a year actually later. So very strange. Once again, not nothing nothing new by Ray Ferrier. <laughs> Just more of the strange. <laughs> Well, you bring up a good point there, and it's something I didn't really process till I was going through these, is that all these letters are sent after January 1st of 1968. So your first one was in January 4th of 1968, and then we're going to go all the way to the middle of 1968 with these letters. So it's uh, pretty crazy. And then, of course, talking about uh, the wine and alcohol and not drinking and things like that, it's a completely, again, 180 from what we've talked about in the past. So we ready to head on to the next one, Frankie? <laughs> yeah, this would put us right around July 19th, so two weeks later, essentially, in 1968. Uh, and this one is addressed to Mrs. Helen Hogue and not so much Mike. Yes, just to Mrs. Uh, here's the letter. It says, you may consider this message enclosed a prank, but don't, exclamation point. The government looked for months for what seemed a m- meat or down in your area. Seemed... I'm not sure if that's meat or messed. Um, it was, in fact, a spacecraft, silver, in fact, domed, uh, downed in the river near Hannibal. Two, I think that's meteor. Oh, you're right. It's a meteor. It's spelled M-E-A-T-O-R. So, uh, yeah, that makes sense. So let's go back. The government, government looked for months for what seemed a meteor down in your area. It was, in fact, a silver or a spacecraft, silver, in fact, Downed in the river near Hannibal. Two more or three, three, he says three twice, such craft were at rescue. One east, one south, and perhaps west. Things had to be dry docked in caves and in country area. Photo of cemetery will show while a or white or silver object in bluff area. One lift off the sky showed reddish three or four shafts. Sorry, it's kind of hard to read. 
uh, at first upward. On radio, they called it the Northern Lights to prevent panic. There is still a token force there near Hannibal. No doubt they will return. My fear that someone would blow up entire area not knowing the explosives were there. This is more than I should tell you and more than the government will release. Don't trust them. Some have and may never return. Sincerely. <laughs> so we go from don't drink alcohol to uh, 16 days later. Well, now we got UFOs in Hannibal. In a span of just two weeks, he went from prayer above to spaceships above, down to aircraft, silver. The, the only thing that really strikes in the heart of me, though, is that Billy uh, and Joey um, had reported seeing something in the skies in the 1966, a year before they went missing. Joey went as far as an amateur astronomer and wrote in his journal about the UFO he did see and cataloged it as a sense of understanding its measurements and its size of how big it was. So Joey could have told a story about the UFO that he had seen. He could have, this person could have befriended them. Because I find it very peculiar and very odd that you have a drawing of UFO in Joey's book as an, as an amateur astronomer. And this is by no means him being jokingly or making things up. Because if you read through his entire journal, it's basically a study of what he's seeing in the night sky. So it doesn't go from being his diary and journal to some kind of fiction that he's writing. He did see something. He did draw something. And the fact that this, a year later, we're talking about these UFOs now all of a sudden. I'm not saying that UFOs or abduction is the cause of this. But I am saying that because I don't remember ever finding Northern Lights in the area or newspaper clippings about this. But... Maybe maybe they're out there. Maybe somebody knows something. Yeah, it's 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 very odd. And again, I think you want to take a broad stroke of things. You know, when we first talked about this uh, at season one, he was talking about reptiles and these uh, snakes that uh, were appearing, and we kind of maybe read into that as some sort of a cult thing. And now we're getting into well, don't drink alcohol. And now we're getting into well, the UFOs were there, and the aliens have been here in Hannibal. Uh, so you're getting you're going extreme every everything. Uh, Frankie, we have one last one. This one we're not sure about the date, so we do not know when this happened. Um, the only difference there it's a front and back. The only difference is the little notes that came from it that has a front and back to it. But uh, the letter itself is just one side. So Frankie, uh, this one I'm going to hand over to you and let you finish off with the last letter from our none other than Ray Farrier. If any part not used will be refunded to donors, any expense above this amount will be taken care of care of by us. Sincerely, Ray Ferrier. That's the little note that's attached to the note that's typed, right? And so once again, this is now the more literal version of the, vo the, the, the letters previously when he's talking about money and raising money. Now he's actually putting numbers together and can you raise $5,000? You know, when you look at the broad strokes of this, this is a, a year later, is what we're we're thinking. This is a year later. They've already spent a million dollars in search of the boys, so it's interesting that he would ask a family to try to get a loan of five thousand dollars. Attached with this is a typed letter 
And he once again is not addressing uh, Mike Hoke. He's addressing just the mother now. This is the last two letters have just been to the mom. And it's Dear Mrs. Helen Hogue, Hannibal, Missouri. Hannibal is spelled right this, this, this time around, but at the same time, it's typed, which is, hmm. I think, the first and only one we have. Um, so my regrets as to the loss of your two fine sons. It is of sorrow that such came to pass. However, other things will also come to a whole lot of greater impact than what has now become a misfortune. Let's hope we can return in time to prevent a great loss of life in future as sure to come. When your birds of the sky no longer rest in trees, things of your planet (laughs) cease to, to home or rest on Hannibal Cliff eastward. Then you will see Earth give up a hell no mortal creature as you have ever seen. We are creatures of other of parts of the same universe as your planet. Many walk among Earth as you do. Fear not of what may come, for we shall return from above out of water, beneath the very Earth you walk. Your son shall return with us upon our return. Our promise to the man shall be kept. Also, Big Boy, which I guess he's referring to Craig at this point, will be returned. So as one may pray, look to the heavens. We are there, same as your planet is to us. Fear us not. So this became War of the Worlds, essentially. Um, I don't know what is happening, why he decided to type this out. It does feel like this is a American poem, pieces of one. Um... So American author poem, like a frost, because th- there's things in here that I remember in my literature classes that he's pulling from, and it's not the Bible. But there are very interesting phrases within this. Once Frankie, again, yeah. I- I'm going to throw out there, I mean, a broad stroke again. He's suggesting he's an alien at this point in time in this letter, right? At, yeah, at this point, it becomes X-Files. Um, he, he, that or... He is talking about the second coming of Christ, which which also makes sense. That we the promise is that we return, that we live forever. If you you know if you've given your soul over to Christ and believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, there's that message here. At the same time, when you say heavens, that in the 1960s was referred to as space, was referred to as universe. We, we talked about heavenly bodies in, in the heavens. You hear that language a lot. This is in the middle of the space race, as you guys know. Um, you're approaching one more year till we land on the moon, right? July 20th, 1969. This is a year before that, we're assuming. So when you, when you look at what is all happening here, he's, in, he's encompassing a bunch of different things that are very current and very relevant to the time of the late 60s. The space race, the UFO sightings, um, all the other things that are happening and occurring. But once again, it could be that every kid, Joey and Billy's age, was into um, the stars and astronomy because space was a big deal back then. We've, we've since lost that, that love for space. We have video games and other stuff that distract our kids. But back then, being an astronaut was something I think every kid wanted to be. So it's, it's thin, but at the same time, I find it very coincidental that they're both talking about it. I, I find it, the one thing that really sticks out to me too is that we know for a fact that he sent letters to the Dowell family, but yet he can't refer to Craig with his name. He actually just says also big boy. I, why would you Why would you not say his name? I, that 
that bothers me a little bit why he wouldn't say Craig's name. Yeah, and and just so the audience knows again to reiterate, Craig was 5'10 about 160 pounds. So that's a big boy uh for being 14 years old. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I was that big at 14 years old. Yeah. Um so I think that's really interesting as well. Uh he might have and remember too, this guy doesn't live in Hannibal. He's not a Hannibal native. So for him to be reading the articles and maybe that's how he's piecing together what these boys look like. But now he knows basically the description of what they look like. He knows their likes and wants as astronomers. There's too much information here for me to think that this guy is just a year later still writing letters. It, it just feels like this guy knew more or he is completely 100%. And this is something you were talking about, Chris. If you're out there and you you analyze letters or you are in the psychological realm of you know pathology and you understand when people do things like this but the writing is so erratic it's almost like coming from multiple personalities different types of personalities yeah first we're on a hunt then we're in the ufos then we're in the cave then we have serpents and monsters i mean he's basically hit almost all of greek mythology within his letters right i mean he has it goes from like way out there outlandish to hey that sounds like that could be possible all the way back out to outlandish so it just yeah. feels like this is roller coaster of, of ray farrier letters i yeah i agree but you know especially if you take a look at the time frame again i mentioned from january to july of 1968 you're looking at uh eight months after or six months after seven months after the boys will disappeared it, it still screams to me frankie i keep hearing Remember me, remember me. And then so I think what he's trying to do is he's getting to the point where he's so worried that people aren't remembering him. His stories are getting more and more outlandish that he wants to get like be so absurd in his letters that he wants to be remembered. And again, why are you sending nine letters to a family seven months and up to a past and past a year of, of when they've disappeared? And again, they're just completely off the wall stuff it's just i don't know it's just it just screams to me remember me don't forget about me i'm still here i i don't know i don't know what yeah, what the connection is there but absolutely and this is a typewriter so like that that last paragraph once again your son shall return with us upon our return our promise to the man shall be kept also big boy will be returned so as one may pray look to the heavens we are there same as your planet is to us fear us not so i think he's completely assumed the role of some kind of alien leader ufo <laughs> type person like wh what are you talking about and like if i'm the family at this point it's a year and a half probably let's I'm gonna assume that this is over a year now like what does this have any bearing on anything first of all it's typed i don't think an alien would use a typewriter <laughs> Secondly, I think an alien with that type of intelligence to escape the vacuum of space could spell better. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, yeah. it's, it's just like there, there are ideas. Um, I would love to give this to, to, to Dr. Tyson, right? Negrassi yeah. Tyson, just to see what Neil thinks about people talking about UFOs in the 1960s. Um, but well, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't think you, I don't think you gotta, honestly though, I, I mean, he, I, 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 there was this part of me that was thinking, oh, wow, he's actually saying he's, he's, uh, He's an alien, but then I got. To, I think the overall, the overall idea is that he's just he's again saying, you know, 
here, look how crazy I can get. I want you to read my letters. So take a look. And then why would you have this thing about a donation in the same? So you have a written letter saying, if we can raise $5,000, uh, we might be able to find them. And then all of a sudden, the other part of this letter, and again, this is all one piece. The other part of this letter is saying that, you know, the aliens happen, but they're going to bring them back. It reminds me of the Star Trek movie, The Final Frontier, when Captain Kirk says, what would God need with a spaceship? Like, <laughs> like he, they go and they find God in the universe, and the God's like, I need your spaceship. And he's like, what would God need with $5,000, dude? Like, yeah. what, what is happening right now? But, you know, that's what makes our show so much fun, Chris, is that we can look at these letters, we can read them to you guys, give you guys all the information, and maybe you can make sense of the ridiculousness that is Ray Farrier. However, on the same, you know, in the same light of what we try to do um, every time we, we, we reach out to the audience is, is try to figure out some answers and hopefully the public may have some. Because I honestly, Chris, I'm at a loss here with these. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, and there was some speculation in our discussion group that that this is definitely, and you brought it up just recently, is just some sort of mental illness involved with this. I think there's two aspects you can look at it. Yeah, you can look at it from the mental uh, the mental illness aspect, but I, I'm a little concerned. Again, we mentioned that he is a uh, business owner at this time, uh, and so he has a family of eight. Um, somebody with this sort of mental disability, I, I find hard to believe, so I, I'm leaning to... But I maybe I could be completely wrong, but I'm leaning more to the idea. I feel more strongly about the idea that it has something to do with he wanting to be a part of the story, or maybe he is part of the story and he just doesn't want to um, come right out and say it, but he wants to be remembered as part of the story. And he is, unfortunately, I guess, you know, we don't want to, you know, he is 54 years later. We're still talking about him, (laughs) but it's important for us. And once again, it comes back to, the 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 type of podcast that we put out right it's the deep dive it, you're going to hear things that might not interest you you're going to think hear things that really interest you and none of this can mean anything at the end of the day that is what it takes to solve these cases is to go down every narrow path and either put that check mark right and as you know chris with the upcoming episode here to give what i do best the cliffhanger <laughs> We have been doing our own journeys. Me and you have taken two separate paths. Chris on the path toward the caves and are the boys still lost there? Me with the true crime aspect, looking for a possible suspect amongst the Hannibal natives and amongst the world serial killers at this point. This is the heightened age of the late 1960s. The serial killer is the number one thing that's happening in California and across the country. In a couple weeks, it is possible that on this show right here, we might be able to bookmark and checkmark. Are the boys really lost in the Lost Boys of Hannibal cave? Murphy's cave? The road cut? Or was it something more nefarious? We leave that up to you as the audience to decide. From all of us here at the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast, I'm Frankie. I'm Chris. We'll be seeing you.